Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Paradox, A Different Way to Live. In this series, we will uncover the profound truths hidden within these seemingly contradictory statements as we embrace the challenge to follow Jesus' footsteps and be a catalyst for change in our world. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, church. How are we this morning? Doing okay? If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather, and I'd really encourage you, it is the last day till we can sign up for our conference. Really encourage you to sign up. We're going to get all of our churches, three churches together at Rabina, which is really powerful, gathering with the family to worship God, but also look at how can we be effective disciples, effective ministers, each and every one of us out in the communities that we live in, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's our family, where it's in the local community. We're actually going to have breakout sessions, and they're not going to be led by pastors. They're going to be led by people who are out in the world sharing the gospel with others. So we can learn that each and every one of us has that call to share the love of God wherever we find we have influenced ourselves. So I encourage you, sign up for that. It's going to be an awesome day. But we're actually in a series called Paradox, a different way to live. And we're in the last week of this series. We've had six weeks of this series, and I've been loving it. So if you've missed any of the messages, David's preached a fair few crackers on this. You can go to our website, you can go to Spotify, you can go to our YouTube channel and listen to those past messages. But we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus that are countercultural, that seem actually counterintuitive to us, that seem opposite to the way that we live and see the world, like love your enemies. If you want to be great, be servant of all. To really live, you actually need to die to self. Do good to those that hate you. You see, all these teachings of Jesus, when we investigate them, they reveal a different way to live. They reveal a different truth. They reveal a different kingdom. And this kingdom is revealed, it reveals the character and the nature of the king of this kingdom. It reveals the nature of God. And and we as disciples, we're actually called or we're invited to live this kingdom way of life. But first we need to humble ourselves lay down our ways in favor of Jesus' ways. And if we really want to see breakthrough and victory in our lives and in the lives of those around us, we need to humble ourselves and go, there is a different way to live. And that's what we want in this series to do, break open the culture that actually restricts us and live in the power of God's Word and the power of His Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at the paradox of faith. Remember, paradox means a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which when investigated may prove to be well-founded or even true. And so we're looking at the paradox of faith, and it's going to be in Matthew 17, 14 to 23. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, said, Lord, have mercy upon my son. He has sieges and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, 
The Son of Man, Jesus, talking about himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, but on the third day he'll be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Before I get into this message, would you please join me in prayer? Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. Your word is powerful, and God, your word is true. Lord, I know that each and every one of us, sometimes when we read your word, it can seem confusing or contradictory. But God, we know that you are faithful. So God, I pray that you would help me preach this word today with grace, with truth, and with love. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me. They'd only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Some of you heard this story before, some not. But I remember way back, it was about 2019, when Stu Cameron, our lead minister at the time, I was a pastor at our Rabina campus, came to me and said, we have an opportunity to plant in Coolangatta. And, and I think it's you who should go down and plant that church. And I'm like, what? Me? Now, can't you find someone else? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm good enough to go down there and plant a church, you know? And so after some prayer and fasting, I really felt God calling me to come down and lead this church plant down here in Coolangatta. And so I accepted that challenge to actually come and plant this church, but the closer it got, the more fear crept in. The more I started to doubt myself. The more I started to think, well, I'm not a great preacher like Mike and Stu and all these great leaders at Rabina. I'm not a great leader. I don't lead like them. This is going to be a disaster. I'm going to go down there and ruin this. And I remember being in prayer with God and basically whinging to him going, send someone else. I can't do this. And I remember the Holy Spirit just, just spoke to my heart and said, that's lack of faith. And I remember in the moment, it was like, it was like a dagger to the heart. Because I was like, no, 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 God, you don't understand. I don't have lack of faith in you. I trust you 100%. I don't trust myself. I don't have the abilities. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's lack of faith. You see, what I was expressing there was that God couldn't do something through me. That God wasn't powerful enough or good enough to actually use me for his glory. And I remember fear was the main motivator of that, that was almost stopping me stepping out in faith. And it's similar to what's happening here in this passage of Scripture where Jesus is rebuking his disciples and the Jewish people for their lack of faith. So, so what's the context of this encounter? Where are we at in the story of Jesus and his disciples? Well, Jesus has started his ministry and he's revealing that he is the Messiah. He's gathered his disciples together to teach them the truth about God and he's teaching about this, this kingdom of God that's different. He's teaching the Jewish people about the kingdom of God and he's doing these amazing miracles to prove that he is God himself in the flesh, to prove what I'm saying is true. And before this moment, Jesus actually sends out the disciples before this, sends them out with authority and power to heal the sick and cast out demons and they do, they go out and they do that. And then Jesus takes um, John, James and Peter up onto this mountain it's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. It's Mount Tabor. And he takes them up there. And in this moment, his, his face shone like the sun. And they beheld some of his glory. They realized that this is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. And this voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son. Hear him. So they have this amazing encounter with some of the glory that Jesus has. And they come down from the mountain. And when they get to the bottom of the mountain, they have this encounter. And if you look on the picture above my head, that's Mount Tabor. That's in Israel. When I was there a few weeks ago, we took photos of that, and that's the mountain where they believe Jesus went up 
with Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured on that mountain. You notice there's a village at the bottom. So they've had this crazy encounter, and then they come down, and they had this encounter with this, with this father pleading for his son. Now, I actually want to pause here for a moment, because all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, write about and tell the story of this same encounter. What do I mean by synoptic gospels? Well, the synoptic gospels, they're called synoptic because it's a Latin word that means seen together. Because the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the same stories, often in the same words, but frequently in the same order as well, but sometimes not in the same words, and sometimes not in the same order. And this can actually be a stumbling block for some people when they come across this, when they're reading the different gospels. Like we read a story in one, and we read about the same story in another, and there seem to be different words or different things happening in those stories, and we can go, hang on, how do I trust? Which one do I trust? Now, some people will actually use this against Christians as an argument against the authority of the Bible because the Gospels don't say exactly the same words. But in fact, this is evidence that what we have is true because it's evidence that they are real eyewitness accounts. Let me give you a few examples. Imagine if we all went to a sporting event. We all went to the Titans game this afternoon. And we're watching the Titans play. Each and every one of us are watching. If you asked each and every one of us what happened in the game, we'd all give different accounts, right? I might go get a hot dog, and you might see something that happens on the field. I miss it. So your account might be slightly different to mine, but I come back and I go, yeah, but this is what I saw, because I was looking down this side of the field and a fight broke out while you were walking up that end when someone scored a try. So we even know in our experience that we have different accounts of the same event. doesn't mean I'm lying. doesn't mean you're lying. We're just giving a different viewpoint. We know this with newspapers. When you read a newspaper, you can go to another newspaper on the same account. They just give you different facts. We know this is part of individual recollection of what is most important at the time. So if I preach today and I come and ask a couple of you guys, <clears throat> what was the message about? What did God speak to you out of the message today? Someone might say, oh, this spoke to me, because maybe that's something you're struggling with right now. Another person might say, oh, this really spoke to me. They both spoke to them. One is, one is right and the other one is right. But we have different accounts of the same event. And we need to understand that the Gospels are written to different audiences. So the Gospel of Matthew is actually written to Jewish believers. It's actually written towards the Jewish believers because Matthew wanted to bring them in on the Gospel. And that's why in Matthew you'll have genealogies that traces Jesus back to David, King David, and back to Abraham. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll have lots of prophecies from the Old Testament brought in to prove to the Jewish people, this is not a new religion. This is not a new sect. This is the Messiah that was promised to come. He's actually come. And so when we look at these different factors, this leads scholars to actually validate the authenticity of the Bible, the authenticity of the Gospel as real eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and his teaching. Therefore, it's really good practice when we're reading one of the Gospels <clears throat> to cross-reference the other Gospels, not for contradictions, because they don't actually contradict each other, but just look at the other ones to find extra information that might help you learn what's actually happening in that moment. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to go to the Gospel of Mark occasionally to find extra information on that will help us understand what's going on here better. So back to Matthew 17. <clears throat> Jesus has come down from the mountain with James and John and Peter, and he's confronted by this distraught father. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy upon my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. 
I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You see, while Peter, James, and John, and Jesus were up on the mountain, this father brings the boy to the other disciples, but they can't seem to heal him. Therefore, the question is, why couldn't the disciples heal the boy? Is this just a physical healing from seizures, or, or is there something else behind this manifestation? You see, when you look into the Greek word here, the Greek word translated for seizures can also be translated as lunatic or moonstruck. You know, they believed at the time when people were a little bit crazy or they had mental issues that when the moon was full, they'd, they'd go a bit more crazy. And so it can be, it can be actually translated differently than just, just having a physical seizure. So when we look at the, the gospel account in Mark for the same event, it actually gives us a bit more insight. It says, Teacher, I brought my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You see, when we look at the other account, that there's something more behind this manifestation. This spiritual possession is actually manifesting seizures. And the intent of the demonic manifestation was, was to actually kill the boy. And the, and the disciples, they're confronted with this demonic manifestation, and it's just too confronting for them. It's too much for them. It says in verse 20, So they brought him, and when, Jesus, when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell down to the ground rolled and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has this been like this? From childhood, he answered. He's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But this is full on, right? Imagine being there, being in the crowd and seeing this manifestation. This kid being thrown on the ground, foaming at the mouth, having seizures. Think about the emotions that would actually go through your mind. Would you have emotions of like feeling helpless? Maybe compassion for the child and the father? Maybe confusion? Would it be too confronting for you? Would it actually instill fear in you? Would you want to be like backing away? You see, this demonic manifestation was intent on destroying the boy and striking fear into everyone who witnessed it. And it actually works on the disciples. It says that the disciples couldn't heal him. So they're obviously, this has happened to the disciples. They're praying against this thing or trying to heal it, and it's not. It's still happening. This manifestation is still happening. They're confronted by it, right? And they're shocked. The disciples are like, I'm up against something that seems overwhelming. Why? They saw it as like a mountain too great to move, right? They let what they were seeing determine their faith and their action. It seemed too confronting, too hard, too big for them to deal with. And this is Satan and his tactics. Do we know that? He actually wants to instill fear in each and every one of us. And fear induces paralysis a lot of the time. When we're scared of things, we, we then don't step into it, right? So it's one of Satan's tactics. And we lack faith sometimes too because things seem too big. They seem like immovable mountains as well. Like for example, I know it does for me. When someone comes down the front after the service, like, can you pray for a headache? I'm like, yes, let's go for it in Jesus' name. And then someone comes down and goes, I've got cancer. I'm like, oh. And something in my heart says, oh, this is different. This is too big for you, Scott. This is too hard. There are times when I'm praying for people's salvation and they're asking questions about Jesus and we're praying and we're praying and we're believing and then there's other people that just hate God 
They want nothing to do with them. I'm like, oh, like I want to pray for them, but this is just too hard. Well, there's times where I just want to step out in faith and, and I want to step out in ministry and, 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 and preach. I'm asked to preach and like I never wanted to preach. I never wanted to get up in front of people. And Stu Cameron and the others, when I became a pastor, like, we want you to preach. I'm like, oh, but I'm too scared. I, I don't want to step into that. And then we look at worldly situations like, like poverty across the world and we go, that's just too big a problem. There's nothing I can do about that. We look at things like sex trafficking and these girls that are they're literally abducted and put in this life and we go, what can I do? We look at wars and we feel helpless. And then we even just bring it closer to home. We look at our individual situations like the sin that we struggle with, our work, our family, our culture we live in and we just seem helpless, right? We see all these things and they influence how we live out our faith and it all seems overwhelming, right? What can I do about it? Like, I don't have the power, the influence, the knowledge or the skills to make any kind of impact. What's Jesus' response to all these feelings and issues that we face in life? He says to the crowd, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? It seems really harsh, right? It seems like a straightforward rebuke from Jesus. But think about it. It must be frustrating for Jesus who knows the power of God. It must be frustrating for Jesus who knows the truth and has been demonstrating the truth of the power of the kingdom of God and is actually living with these people, showing them this, and they still don't get it. Even though he's teaching them the truth and demonstrating the truth through miracles, they still don't get it. They're still focused on themselves, focused on their own power. Jesus is frustrated because his entire message from the start was focused on God, his love, his grace, and his power, and they just can't seem to trust him. And they just keep falling back into the trap of fear and unbelief and dependence on their own power and strength. Like, just imagine what Jesus is thinking. He's like, you guys profess God, profess to know God, profess to have faith in God, but I'm right here in front of you. I'm the Messiah that you've all been waiting for. This promised Messiah, it's me. And I'm giving you truth, and I'm revealing my glory and power, and you still don't believe. You still don't have faith in me. What else can I do? What else could I do so you would believe? And this is so true because most of the Jewish people who profess faith in the God of the Old Testament rejected Jesus and his teaching and eventually murdered him. They didn't want to believe. So then Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love this portion of scripture because I feel the same as the dad sometimes. I feel like I believe in God I believe and trusted him, but then I have this unbelief that just wells up in me, right? And his father's like, if you can, Jesus is like, if I can? If I can? Of course I can. Of course I can. Nothing is impossible for God. And he's like, look, I do believe, but help my unbelief. It's like the cry of my heart most weeks. It's like, God, I do believe, but man... Sometimes I struggle with this stuff. Anyone else feel that way sometimes? But Jesus is like, watch. 
Watch what happens when I step into a situation that seems hopeless, that seems confronting, that seems scary. Watch what happens. He says, Jesus rebuked the demon that came out of the boy, and he was healed that very moment. He's like, if you don't believe me and my words, at least believe the works that I do. Church, nothing is impossible for God, nothing. No situation is too far gone. No person is too far gone for God. But what I want to acknowledge in this moment, there are people here today feeling like that dad. They're crying out to God. You're crying out to God for help. It might be a sickness. It might be suffering you're going through. It might be for a family member. And I, and I understand that. It is hard. But one thing I know is that God hears our prayers. And we just need to have enough faith in him regardless of what the outcome is. Jesus is not saying here that, that if we just have enough faith and everything will be fixed, then everything will be healed. Because that just puts pain and suffering on ourselves that I'm in this situation because I don't have enough faith. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we just need to have small faith and trust God, even when we're suffering, even when we're going through pain, that he'll actually be with there. He's promising that these mountains, the things that we suffer that look like mountains, that he'll carry us through and they won't be mountains. Because he promises to be with us always. And so, do we believe that God still heals? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. So the disciples, they're confused, right? About this whole situation. So they humbly come to Jesus and they say in verse 19, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. It's like you're letting what you see in front of you reduce your faith. You're letting fear bring in doubt, paralyze you. But even tiny faith can make a huge difference. He then goes on to say, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, Jesus lovingly rebukes them, but then he encourages them with a metaphor. Remember, they're standing at the base of a mountain. They're standing at the base of Mount Tabor. So Jesus is using what is there at his disposal to help them understand a kingdom truth. He's like, see the seeds here that you'll sell in the marketplace? If you have faith as small as that, you can move mountains like this. You see, he's using a metaphor to express the power of faith. And there's a danger when we take things in the Bible too literally sometimes. And we go, well, we as Christians, we can just throw mountains down. So Kira Hill be thrown into the sea. Dang it, I just don't have enough faith. Is that what God's saying here? No, he's using a metaphor to help us understand a deeper truth. He's saying, you have so little faith, but let me tell you, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. This is so encouraging to us. Look at this mustard seed in the mountain. Can you even see the mustard seed? It's tiny, right? Imagine Jesus holding up that and going, hey, if you have faith the size of this, you can move this right behind me. Guys, what you're doing is you're focusing on what you can't do. Focus on what... God can do. And I make this mistake all the time. I'm too focused on myself. We all know that some small things move large objects, right? We see it in our world. You see a jet plane has a small little jet engine on it, but it moves a huge plane. I often look in the sky, I'm like, how is that staying up there? Tons and tons and tons of steel. How does that just not fall to the ground? It's crazy, right? Look at a ship sailing the ocean. You can have a huge ship directed and steered moved by a tiny rudder. That tiny little rudder can move and direct a massive ship. We know a mouse can move an elephant, right? Or is that a myth? It's actually not a myth. 
Mythbusters, anyone seen that show? They actually took this one on, right? And they were like, this, this can't be true, we're going to bust this myth. So they got a mouse, put him in a box, and when the elephants were walking down, they released the mouse. Guess what happened? The elephant was like, they all started backing up. Legit. Mouses actually scare big elephants. So small things can move big things, right? So we just need to trust in our God, our large God, and step out in faith. Timothy Keller says, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. It's not the size of your faith, but it's the size of your God. You see, small faith in a powerful God yields massive results. We know this. You know, for myself, stepping out in faith, taking that tiny little bit of faith that I have and stepping out and saying to someone, oh, can I actually pray for you? Can I pray for healing? Like, if I don't step out in faith, take that tiny faith and step out, then how is someone going to get healed if we don't actually pray? And there are times when God does heal. What about the times when we when we have an opportunity to, to step out in that tiny little bit of faith we have and, and share, share our faith with others, share the love and the grace of God that he has for them. We step out, but we see massive results through that, right? People's lives can be transformed. What about when we step out and we give to, to mission, we give to the mission of the church, or we give to things like compassion, where we sponsor a child? It's such a small seed that we sow, right? When we give to a child... It makes a massive difference in their life. They grow up with, with schooling and it affects their family, it affects their village. They could even become CEO of United Nations. Who, who knows how much that tiny little seed can grow into such a huge thing? It's stepping out in service. It's stepping out in ministry and going, oh, I, I don't have the, the power or the grace, but it's like, great, none of us do. It's all by God's grace. What about we just step into our local community, serve those that we can actually serve, and see what God does with that? It's just faithfully taking that small amount of, of talent or time and resources that we have, and we put it into the hands of a mighty God that can actually multiply everything we have far beyond what we could imagine. And here's the truth. When we step out with our little faith, we will actually grow. Our small faith in the beginning starts to enlarge and get bigger and bigger in our hearts as we see God move through those tiny acts of obedience. Matthew 13 talks about this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. It's like we just take this little seed of faith, we plant it in our heart, and, and just see what happens with that. When we plant those seeds around, what happens? It, it becomes a tree, it grows up. And what we know with trees, right, they produce fruit that we can be fed from. It produces these branches where the animals come and receive shade. It brings life. You know, our t- tiny mustard seed of faith can bring life far beyond what we could think. This is so encouraging. Who has tiny faith? It's just me? Oh, great. Everyone's like massive faith warriors here. We just have tiny faith, but we just need to put that into action to see huge results because it's God that brings the results, right? Proverbial mountains in our lives will be thrown aside and we'll see the power and the grace of God at work. How many of us is that is the testimony that I've come to God and he has just changed my life dramatically? Mountains have been thrown down. Now, the question that comes out of this, and I think some of you are thinking from this story, is can we cast out demons? Yes, we can. 
You see, Satan and his demons, they want you to be afraid. They want you to be scared. Satan wants Christians to think that he is too powerful for us because that's his tactic he has against us, fear and lies. But the Bible tells us the truth in Mark 16. This is in the context of Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's about to ascend back into heaven, and he gives this command to his disciples. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons. These are Jesus' words right here. He says, hey guys, go and preach the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized from your message, they will be saved. And I want to encourage you, we have baptisms coming up. Here is another prime example of Jesus commanding us to step out in faith and be baptized. But he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. Believe, who are they? People who believe from their message. That message of the gospel has been preached for 2,000 years. Those people that believe, that have the Spirit of God, they will cast out demons in whose name? Not in our name. Not in our power. But in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of us actually believe this? Like if a demon manifests right now, how many of us would actually step into that situation? Most of us, We'd be pretty afraid and intimidated, right? We'd be like, whoa, someone else can deal with that. You know, I was walking with Reese, one of our guys who comes to the church here on Monday. We're walking on the beach and we're talking about this passage. And I'm saying, every time I read this passage, it convicts me that I need to step out with my tiny amount of faith and actually pray for healing, pray for deliverance, step out and share my faith more. It's this conviction in my heart that, yeah, it might be small, but I can actually use that. But often... I shared with him, it's, it's fear that stops me. This is what's happening here with the disciples, but Jesus wasn't scared or intimidated by the demon. Do you know why? Because Satan is nothing compared to God. We have this twisted theology that thinks it's good and evil, and it's this equal battle between God and the devil, but it's not an equal battle. The devil is a creation of God. God created all things, including the devil. The devil is not God. The devil is not all-knowing like God. The devil is not all-present like God. The devil is not all-powerful like God. This is not an even battle. It's not good versus evil and we don't know what to do. The truth is that we actually carry the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Almighty God lives in every Christian. There's no greater power than that. Therefore, we actually don't need to be afraid. Don't believe me? Or to put it another way, do you still lack faith in this truth? 1 John 4 speaks straight into this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's like, hey, if you're a Christian, you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And greater is the Holy Spirit in you than anything in the world. That includes Satan and all these little minions. Do you have faith the size of a mustard seed? Just tiny faith? Well, God wants us to focus on that, not on the world around us. But actually, Satan wants to distract you from the truth. But the truth, according to Jesus, is that even tiny faith can move mountains. What if we said to Satan, look, I've got a mustard seed of faith and not afraid to use it? It's like, ping, ping, flick it at him. <laughs> we all have tiny faith, right? Some of us have a more mature faith, but we all get distracted and intimidated And doubt just starts to creep in. And the only way around that is to refocus on the object of our faith, is to refocus 
on the person of our faith, and that's God. You see, Mark, there's more to this answer that Jesus gives. They ask him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, I believe he's actually talking about two things here. He's talking about the demon, because it's so confronting. We need to come before God in prayer. We need to cast it out with prayer. But I also believe he's talking about this kind can't go out without prayer, our unbelief. You know, if I take you back to the start, the story, I was afraid to plant this church. And it wasn't until I came to God in prayer where, we, where he reorientated myself back to him, to his power, to his grace. He's the only one that can do far beyond what I could ever imagine or dream in my own strength. And New Life Cooley is evidence of this. Look at this beautiful community. It's made up of beautiful Christians. I'm going to confess. Most of the time I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Ask my ministry team. They're like, yeah, you have no idea what you're doing. Praise God. Because this is not built on me. It's built on Jesus. It's built on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's built on His people coming together to love and serve one another. That is the church. Praise God that through prayer, He reorientated me to that truth and that understanding. Just as a mustard seed-sized faith can be exercised in obedience, you can actually get amazing results. Hanisi, would you like to come up when you're ready? Thanks, mate. And the foundation of this faith, it actually comes from Jesus. The very next verse in all Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is Jesus giving them the reason why they can trust him, the reason why they can have faith, the reason why nothing can stand their way, not even a proverbial mountain. He says to them in Galilee, the Son of Man, which is talking about himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he'll be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. You see, our faith is in Jesus. It's not in ourselves. And Jesus proved that he is faithful, all-powerful, all-loving. That he is the only foundation that we can stand on because he rose again from death. He took on death and had victory over death for you and me. This is the mission that Jesus had. He loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in sin. He didn't want to be separated from us for eternity. He's like, I'm going to come as a man. I'm going to put on human flesh. I'm going to show you who God really is. That there is nothing in this world that can come against my kingdom. And I'm going to show you how much I love you by going to the cross. And on that cross, I'm going to take your sin. It's called grace. It's love undeserved. We didn't deserve him to die for us. But that's what love does, right? Pure love sacrifices. And Jesus goes to the cross and he takes your sin and my sin upon himself. And he dies and he takes it to the grave, bearing it. And when he rises again, he proves that he has victory over Satan, sin and death for you and me. All who put their faith in Christ. All who repent of their sin and go, the only way I'm saved is through your sacrifice, Jesus. What you've done, we receive eternal life. We also receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Timothy Keller says, Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. You know, we can put our faith in all sorts of things in this world. We can put it in money, in prestige. They're weak branches. On the day of judgment, they will fail you. I'd rather have weak faith in a strong branch that tiny amount of faith that I have, I put it in the person of Jesus because on that day, He is the branch that we can stand on that will save us, that will redeem us. 
All you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. So small you can hardly see it. But if you put that little faith in the person of Jesus, your life will be changed forever. He'll come in with supernatural power into your heart. He'll move mountains in your life. It's happened for me. It's happened for many of us. And it can happen for you today. You just need to repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in God, the God that loves you, the God that desires to forgive you, the God that desires to have you in his presence for eternity. Church, what does this story teach us today? That tiny faith in a powerful God can move mountains. We just need to believe in the power and the grace of God and actually step out with the small faith that we have to allow God to do what what only he can do. So the question is, what will you do this week? How will you exercise that tiny faith you have for the sake of the kingdom of God to see lives transform and God be glorified? Church, be encouraged by these words of Jesus over your life. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much that it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that we actually stand, that we're actually redeemed, we're restored. We thank you, God, that your Spirit dwells in each and every one of us, God. The power of the Almighty God dwells in us. God, would you please help us understand that? Would you help us believe that? Lord, our cry is, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Holy Spirit, throughout the week, would you, even boldly we pray, would you set up moments where we can actually take our tiny faith, step into that, that we may see your mighty hand at work. And you might be here in this moment and you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You've never received him as your Lord and Savior. And and I just want to give you an opportunity now that, that God loves you, he cares for you, he came to die for you. And he wants to have relationship with you. And you might think, I've only got a tiny amount of faith. That's okay. That's all we need. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just ask if you just be bold enough, step out in faith enough just to raise your hand. I would love to pray for you. You can do that now. Thank you. Lord, you see the hand that's raised, Lord. I pray that you would just bless him with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you died for him, that you rose again in victory over death for him. And Lord, that he's publicly declared that you are Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would forgive him of your sins, wash him clean from all his transgressions, and give him new life, a new life in Christ, that he would walk in power of the Holy Spirit, that you may be glorified through his transformed life. And Lord, we just come to you in this moment. We praise you and we thank you for your truth, Lord. May your truth dwell in our hearts. Write your law in our hearts, God, that we would walk those out each and every day, that you would be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.